Hello, welcome to Adventures in Angular, the podcast where we keep you updated on all things Angular related. This show is produced by two companies, Top and Devs and Envoy. Top and Devs is where we create top and devs who get top and pay and recognition while working on interesting problems and making meaningful community contributions. And Envoy, which offers remote design and web development services with specialization in Angular for companies that truly care about quality. In today's episode, we'll talk about the evolution of JavaScript. My name is Lucas Paganini. I am the CEO of Envoy and your host in the podcast. And joining me in today's episode is Marek Penty. Hi. Thank you, Lucas, for the invitation. I'm very happy to attend this podcast. Thank you for joining. Marek is, uh, he's been in the show before, so I highly recommend that you also check out the episode that we had with him previously, which was fantastic too. So Marek, thank you for being back on the show and let's get into it. So I suppose we should start with what do we mean by the evolution of JavaScript? Yeah, it's... This is actually a very interesting topic because uh, this topic came to my mind when I did some courses for backend developers and they view on JavaScript is like a little bit superficial. Yeah, they looked on it like how is what's that language that doesn't have types? Uh, how does it work? How is possible that you can do an, an addition of string and a number and when you do a minus it's something else and how is it like that they are basically laughing at it or they were uh, and i started to do a lot of investigation about the javascript past yeah so i think everything started in around um, at, at the end of 90s basically uh if you remember there was like before before the web interaction or, or when web interaction started, there was a flash. And the flash uh, was using uh, action script. And I actually didn't find uh, some article that connected JavaScript to action script. But when you look on the, on the first JavaScript, it looks exactly the same as action script. Yeah, you were able to to create some games in the in the action script, and then you had some vector objects, and you were mo- moving it in a in some square. So this is this is the idea. And nowadays, it's a, it's a much more complete language. But by the way, I've been using something that has been in the language for a while, but I I wasn't actually using it in production yet. But I've been using this technique for the past. Uh, three weeks on, on a project that we were working on at Envoy. And I was blown away with how easy it is. And I'm talking about async generators. Uh, like generators in general were kind of like a um, feature that people are like, oh yeah, that, that function with an asterisk exists, but let's, not, let's just forget about it. Um, yeah. But I'm actually using it a lot to do a background synchronization process. And it is extremely easy to deal with back pressure because you can just pull data as you need it. And then 
you can just map your async generator to another async generator and and then you have this entire stream of things that the last one pulls and then pulls from the previous ones and goes up until the yeah. first and then you have this very very memory efficient um program so mm -hmm. it's amazing how much we can do with javascript nowadays so yes i i believe this is a, a very very interesting topic so yeah um let, let's get into it so um where do we start because if we really take it from the absolute beginning of javascript then i'm not even sure if we can fit that in 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would actually start maybe uh, from the generators, as, as you mentioned, because uh, what is still wrong about JavaScript? I think it's uh, documentation. Because then I talked with a with a meet developer in frontend, and I asked him a simple question: if he knows how uh, how the stack uh, in the runtime works and what is the what is what is the event loop in javascript usually they even don't know the term what does it mean when i show them uh, that you can actually see the stack and the queues in a browser they start to realize aha and they have this aha moment mm -hmm. and this is one of the issues because we have a lot of documentation and a lot of tutorials from from the old world let's say and I think this can be the starting point that how one person uh, can learn JavaScript now without going without going to the old concept. And the first idea is that uh, the first idea is that in the past you had only a static website. There was there was there wasn't even Ajax. There wasn't even even a server communication, but. Uh, in some time after the static websites, you wanted to have some flashing button or, or some animation going on. And this was the purpose of JavaScript. And also, this, this is the reason why JavaScript was very simple. It wasn't mentioned, like the language itself, it wasn't mentioned to do a big things. Its, its purpose was to create two to 10 lines of code, and that's it, and run some animation, yeah? But as a as a computer and hardware progressed and internet was faster, we started to have uh, server communication. And the server communication at its beginning was looking like that: that you press the button, the whole page was refreshed. Yeah, but everyone realized that this is no way to go. So there were uh, I I don't want to mention the concept before Ajax, but there were some concepts from Java, some con some concepts from C and, and so on. But then the Ajax came and it was like first protocol via web and the server that was official and that was integrated by browsers. And this is this is the point where the things started to be a little bit different. And also this is the point where the JavaScript started to be um, it started to be used for something it hasn't been it hasn't been built at the beginning. So those are also the following reasons why we had a lot of concepts and a lot of hacky things, such as uh, closer closures in JavaScript, such as immediately invoked functions. And then mm -hmm. uh, also uh, another topic is the JavaScript canvas that, that was 
inbuilt later on. And it started to be quite complicated. And right now we are talking about 2004, let's say. And this is the year where MySpace started. And three years, three years later, there was Facebook. And each of those big uh, websites were actually applications. They had their own front end and their own idea of how the things should be connected to each other. And, and it was really crazy because when you went from one company to another, it did completely different job because every, everyone thought about, uh, about it differently. And also it was a time where uh, I think every, every country in Europe or, or in, a, in, in every continent had its own chat application. And this chat application was quite uh, on top. It was actually before Facebook, yeah? But mm-hmm. it was on top of the, of the, of the country list. And then uh, when you look from today's eyes on those applications, they were very easy. Like now, I think we would be able to develop it in two months. But before, as there were no concept, nothing, it was job for three years. So this is this is the difference. Now we have a new complexity here. And I wouldn't just say that it's about the JavaScript language um, in isolation, but also the JavaScript ecosystem. Yes. For example, nowadays you can very easily install libraries that are going to give you all the functionalities that you want. And then I'm I'm not saying that I that that's the part that that we could go on, but I, I think that might be another show, which is when to install another <laughs> library, when to do it yourself, because I think there's a line to draw. Sometimes people just install too many dependencies and and I'm not even talking about this from the side of oh it's gonna the bundle is gonna be too big like it's not just about that although that could be uh, something to 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 think about but um, mostly from the side of you're installing code that although it does what you seemingly wanted to do you don't actually understand how it does that. So it might be introducing security issues in your code base or maybe just unperformant code. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. But anyways, there's this entire ecosystem of things uh, nowadays that would allow you to build this chat application in like one week if you're willing to to just do it with the solutions that are already existent instead of trying to code your own from scratch. So yeah, it's crazy the amount of things that we can do nowadays in a short period of time using JavaScript. Yeah, exactly. And now I would like uh, I would continue also with the uh, with the end of or with the JavaScript nowadays. Then I uh, will come back. So basically, with the with the frameworks, what 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 is the funny thing uh, is that before there was React, Angular, Vue. Well, that now we have a quick that is very good, but my feeling is that the the gap between the frameworks are starting to be uh, started to be lower and lower because Angular adapted signals and standalone components, uh, Vue and and SolidJS had it before, but they didn't have the time to have a big user base. So, in my opinion, in some time. In some time, there will be 
maybe only Angular, Quick, and React, because the differences between the framework frameworks will disappear. And it's also now it's good and a bad. The good thing is that now we have standard, yeah, because signals uh, they finally it's it's basically a final rendering solution because React in the past they had a virtual DOM and Angular had the zone.js change detection. But none of this was a good and optimal solution, yeah, because when you do some change with the data you want you want to see uh, just this change in the view. You don't want to wait until something happens somewhere. Basically signals is the solution, right? Uh, and signals is one of the examples that shows us some direction that the front end is becoming more and more unified. That there are unified solutions to some problems that before were maybe opinionated. That that is really a good direction. And also the tooling. Yeah, the, I think the TypeScript and Dart are are the way to go. That before before it wasn't it wasn't like this. Yeah, and also. Also, there are some other 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 stuff with uh, ECMAScript. Uh, for example, this year, the, this year uh, ECMAScript into, introduced new functions that I personally was missing because, when, for example, before when you wanted to add uh, a new item to the array, array or remove an item to the array, you were always mutating the original array. But if you wanted to do it without mutating the array, you had to manually copy the array yeah, and add or remove that item. Or you could, of course, use a filter or map method. Yeah, but now they introduce you can, uh, slice it. Yeah, so they, uh, before you had only slice method, now you have slice it. And it's doing basically the same, but without mutating the original array. And for my brain, I was always a little bit unhappy when I was using filter for not filtering, but for removing an item from an array because mm-hmm. methodologically filter is not used to that. It's used to filter things. Yeah, so basically JavaScript improved even things like this. And now I will go back to the past. <laughs> so uh, I stopped talking about the year 2004, about a lot of frameworks and so on. And when, when we started in the moment, I think around 2007 or or eight when there were we had smartphones we had so many websites and so on. Uh, there became some feeling that the front end needs to have some unification. Yeah, and, and the first real framework was Angular JS. But first framework is something like a first car. Uh, you don't really remember the first brand. Everyone remembers Ford. Yeah, because Ford. It it wasn't a first car. First car was even in somewhere in nineteenth century. But it was undeveloped, and something like that was AngularJS. It, it just brought a concept, and it shows how things could be done. Then basically, React in quite overtook it because React changed a lot of things that Angular did not see before, and they started from scratch. And after some time, Angular had to completely remove their old project and start from scratch again. I think it was a good idea and, and quite clever. And this is, I, I think this point, it was it was around 2008, and this is the point where front-end started to be uh, more and more complex. Because uh, after the after the frameworks were introduced, yeah, uh, uh, when, when AngularJS died, uh, 
new Angular started to use TypeScript, for example. So now, in, now you had evolution of JavaScript and evolution of the ecosystem. And from with today's eyes, this is this is again old technology and, and primitive technology and has nothing and easy. Yeah? But in that moment, you had TypeScript that was compiled to JavaScript. Then you had to have polyfills and you had to still think about compatibility with Internet Explorer and, and so on. And you had all those tools that did it for you. And also uh, server-side rendering started. So there were there were so many topics in, in that, that came just like this. Also, that was the moment where uh, microservice uh, and APIs started to evolve more and more. And it's funny because this year, uh, I will, now I will also talk a little bit about this now. Uh, this year, uh, as there is this war and everything, uh, the prices for server are very big. And companies started again to dump the cloud and started to have their own servers. And there is now discussions whether we shouldn't go back to monolith or maybe there should be some part some monolithical part and, and only small part of APIs. And I think this is also a good way because only monolith and only APIs, APIs are a bit extreme. Yeah, we, but we need it, we need it to work to see what is optimal. Yeah, and this is this is quite a funny story. Yeah, man, the, the web in general, <laughs> it's funny that like we we kept evolving in a direction, but Sometimes I feel like the whole world doesn't stop to ask, should we go in this direction? It's kind of yeah. like what happened with serverless functions. They are incredibly useful. I, I love the idea of serverless computing. I would happily work on a project um, with an API entirely serverless. But you have to be aware of the trade-offs. Like I was... Uh, talking to a company the other day, and they were talking about some of the challenges that they they were facing going serverless. And one of them was actually something that it's obvious once you realize, but it's not so obvious if you're just thinking about serverless, which is um, every request is going to create a new connection to the database. So the database also has a limit of connections. So sometimes it's like... You tried to break the the application into so many small pieces that in in some point it actually introduces more complexity than it exactly. solves. Yes. Exactly, uh, and I think uh, I think this is one of the uh, one of the things that we can call a, a craftsmanship. Yeah, because you don't, you cannot have a real rules of how to develop something. You need to have enough experience, and basically, once you get that experience, it's like in the old times that the old senior guys has these craftsmanship, and he can sell it to to a new generation, basically. And it was, we can see it even in the software development itself the, uh, during the last twelve years. Uh, this is this is exactly funny. Now uh, I would like to talk about a funny thing uh, called immediately invoked functions. Uh, 
to, to, to bring some concrete example. So basically, imagine that you have a web app. Yeah. Now, when you when you have a new component, you write new class, and new class is basically uh, a separated scope. But before, imagine you had you have just index HTML, and you have a script stack, and your scope was in the script stack of the index HTML. So even if you if if you separated it into some smaller JavaScript files, it was always connected to the index HTML and its scope. So now take uh, take this. Uh, you want to you 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 have what whatever what whatever route you are on. You on eighty percent you have var name because in each project in each component usually you have something that is var name. Yeah, now let, but before it was var name. But it, uh, if you had ten times var name, it was uh, in one scope of the index HTML. So there was some fight between the variables. Yeah. So there was a hack how to create a scope without a class because JavaScript was an OOP. Uh, and it was uh, it is a immediately invoked function. It's actually a function that is immediately invoked, and the scope is only within, within that function. And Angular JS components were basically you know, under under the hood. It was a lot of uh, immediately invoked functions because of the scope. And it's again it's again the issue from the old time that JavaScript wasn't meant to do uh, such applications at the beginning. Mm-hmm. But this is also part of the evolution, and I think this is this is the the biggest reason why why some backend developers were laughing at the JavaScript, even even me, yeah. <laughs> but uh, now it's completely different, but it's also more complex because uh, besides besides those rules, and if you forget about tooling, if you forget about everything else, and we look only on browser and JavaScript, today we can have progressive web apps. And when you see when you take progressive web apps, that you basically cache uh, everything that is loaded on uh, on the browser, then you, then you have a browser database, and you have also local storage. Now you can think what should be stored and what should be online, when the communication between offline and online can happen. This is also part of the of the complexity. But now we have uh, another topic that is WebAssembly, that uh, not, not natural, naturally, yeah. Uh, five years ago, I had an, an array with, I don't know, one million items. And usually uh, it had to be filtered, sorted on server because in front end it would be complicated or, or it could crash. But now with WebAssembly, uh, we can control uh, we can we can control what is rendered or what is run by browser or directly by our hardware of our computer. And the next topic in next five years could be CSS rendering. Imagine if CSS wouldn't be rendered by browser but by hardware itself. Because CSS, I think, is one of the one of the things which will stay with us because it's one of the best position language, I would say. And, but the browser is slow. 
if if you have imagine if you have a table with with uh, five thousand items, the rendering can become slow. Yeah, if you have some older computer. But if you would have CSS rendering done not on a browser level but on the hardware, then it would be fast. It would be crazy. And I think this is the direction where front-end uh, is going through. But there is also another topic, and that complexity brings us to issue that front-end, like the general front-end, is now more complicated than uh, back-end, if we are not talking about, uh, about low coding. Yeah? Because on front-end, you have, you have a lot of complexity, a lot of layers. And also creation of UI components when you when you uh, basically on the, when when you do some date picker calendar you have to think about uh, responsibility uh, responsivity about touch uh, click keyboard events about focus and then you need to think about uh, all browsers and also you need to think about uh, accessibility. So, and when you connect all of these two together, this is this is crazy. <laughs> yeah, a lot of power, but a lot of complexity too. Yeah. But I, I kind of like that. I think that front-end developers should have more power because for a long time, um, CPU-heavy stuff would... Uh, yeah. Or just not even CPU heavy stuff, but like basically there are protocols that we couldn't run on the front end. So we had to delegate such things to the back end. And nowadays, I think there's still this notion that like the back end engineer is somehow uh, smarter than the front end engineer because they have to deal with more complexity. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, take away the, the, like I, I can't generalize that for sure, but I do know that in general, the backhand is a bigger responsibility than the front end. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily more complex, yes. but just the fact that the front end can be uh, killed and spun up again and no problem, like we're not holding your data, mm -hmm. uh, that's like major a major win for front-end developers in terms of making the, the process easier. If you're the back-end developer, then you can have nightmares thinking that the, the database went down and you don't have backups, for example. Exactly. So it's yeah, it's more responsibility if you look at it that way. But I don't like how most companies think that the backend engineers somehow necessarily deal with more complexity than the front-end engineers. I think there's a lot that can be done in the front-end nowadays, and I think there's there are a lot of applications taking advantage of that. So if you're really stretching up the possibilities of your front-end framework, then you're probably doing something very complex in the front-end, something that if you just get a senior and senior backend engineer to look at, they might not be able to to figure their way their way uh, in like mm -hmm. quickly, you know. So, yeah, I I do like the power 
I just hope that the industry overall realizes that and increases their their market value for front-end um, developers accordingly because there is a noticeable gap between salaries from front-end and back-end engineers nowadays. And I think it should be smaller. I, I wouldn't say that it shouldn't exist, mm-hmm. but I think it should be smaller. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think the reason for, for this is also now in the past, where in the past front-end developer, uh, his responsibility was to uh, get the PSD file, yeah, to create HTML, CSS, and maybe some JavaScript. And basically, that was it. It was only pure programming. And nowadays, it's really uh, about engineering stuff. But I think uh, I think a lot of companies uh, started to realize it because before you had usually uh, one one tech lead per team or, or or in company who was responsible for for some direction. Now I saw a lot of companies had uh, a special they had special front end tech lead and, and a back end tech lead because one person is now is no more able to to grasp everything. Also, uh, also it's not it's not all because um, because uh, a front-end tech lead can decide that some smaller back-end stuff could be done in Node.js, yeah? And now you need to decide on questions whether you should have a monorepo, separated uh, applications, how the models could communicate if you have some third party and that back-end for front-end in Node.js is connected to the third party. This is also some... It's like some would say it's a backend work, but I think that this Node.js is becoming more integrated more and more into the front end, sort of. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to explain. And also, also when you have a Node.js, the runtime of the JavaScript is a little bit different than in the browser. And so we have a lot of things to, to think about. And the reason why the Node.js or, or the JavaScript is a little bit different than the backend is uh, are two small details, yeah, because JavaScript is still a functional language. And when you have someone from from Java world and he comes to, let's say, he jumps into the Angular, and then you look on his code, and suddenly you see. There are classes everywhere, and there are classes for things that should be interfaces, for example. And he he does a lot of uh, or or RxJS and streams. Uh, it also requires some knowledge because, uh, for example, operator tab. Uh, uh, operator tab is an operator that returns uh, the original stream, and it should be used only for Basically, only for debugging. Yeah, instead, it's better to use map. Yeah, and a backend uh, developer usually, from my experience, is using a tab, and because he don't know what is behind or what is behind the scenes. Yep, yep, I've seen that. Um, and what goes, what comes after that? Um, do you have any other? points that you think would be relevant to bring in terms of the evolution of JavaScript? 
uh, de- definitely. Uh, maybe maybe before I, w- I would get to this point, I would like to mention uh, ChatGPT and Copilot uh, because there was also a question whether uh, this ChatGPT or Copilot could replace uh, developers in general. And even I started to have fear for two weeks. <laughs> but then I saw how many mistakes it does. And also, I, I don't know how it's possible, but uh, in, a, I think, three, three or four weeks ago, there was a study that ChatGPT is now a little bit stupider than before. The new, the new model, uh, and it, it, it's also true. And I, I think they did it on purpose, so you would have to buy the full license or something like this. But it's not; it, it cannot grasp the whole, uh, the whole complexity. But it's very useful for uh, small functions and for testing if you know how to how to use it properly. It's very useful for regex, for example, and for write unit tests. And now. In terms of the future uh, future development or, or future points with the JavaScript, uh, I, I think uh, I personally I think the future will be uh, will add us uh, more and more complexity. And personally, I think that there will be something with the UI uh, in terms of nowadays the UI is very simple and. Flood design gain its popularity or, or material or, or how, we, how, it call, how we call it. But I think that something will happen like in 2000, because there was a small gap from 2005 until 2008 where the website started to look really beautiful and each website was like an art. But when, uh, when a smartphone came, we started to do responsive websites in a, uh, and the flat design was very popular and is still somehow popular. And I think, I think we will have animation and uh, a thing called uh, game experience. Uh, it started to be popular this year. Game experience is basically something what you saw on Udemy or on some learning classes where when uh, you had some badges, then you did something successful and you received some uh, some plus. So I think gamification would be a next part of, uh, of user experience, but it will also add a new uh, layer of complexity. Yeah, I'm personally excited about this complexity. I like the idea yes. of building systems that have uh, designed gamification, but yeah, there's a, a little bit of of ethical worries about that because sometimes I think gamification makes people addicted to the wrong things. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but overall, I think yeah, I think it, it works and it makes the experience more. It can make the experience more enjoyable. Yeah, exactly, and. One uh, and next point, I uh, it, it just it just came in is uh, when we when we were talking about those changes. Now one can imagine how it's possible that your application is still running on the most modern version with the most more modern uh, system and with sort with a readable code. 
this is one of the topics why so many projects failed because there are also a lot of projects that uh, weren't prepared for the change and they still uh, they said we will use the old system we won't accommodate because we are too big and we are not able to do the change but with that decision came a lot of problems and after some time usually it was five years <laughs> after after that time they needed to start from scratch and now the question is how you should optimize your system or how the front-end architecture should look like. And again, I just want to remind to, to uh, everyone who is listening to this, you should really concentrate on the MVP. So basically, your HTML in whatever framework, even in vanilla JavaScript, your HTML should be as pure as possible. And you should have some layer, such let's call it facade, and that facade will take care of the logic. So when some refactoring will come in the future, you will do it only in the facade. You won't have to touch all of your files. This is this is really important note. Yeah, that's a that's a pattern I've been using for a lot of things actually. Even just to to simplify uh, classes that expose too many methods and too many properties. Like most times, if for example, you're using a a library and, for example, data stores. Uh, so you're using NGRX, yes. for example. They expose just so many things if you're using NGRX data, for example. There are just so many methods and properties, and you don't always want to expose all that to the clients that are going to consume that. So you can always just have a facade that simplifies the interaction with this massive object exactly and this is also uh i will say i will tell an example uh we have now signals yeah and let's say that you decide you want to uh you want to uh, remove ngrx or, or store and use just the signals and if you have facade the change is quite easy because at at first point you can you can use just two signal in the first step. Uh, it's a, it's a method that converts uh, observable to signal. Then you can change the logic uh, inside some RxJS uh, pipe with computed, and you can you can update it step by step. But if you have everything in a component or everything together in some files, you it, it, it won't be possible. You would need to start from scratch. And there there were so many examples in the past where, where this pattern helped. So just as a reminder. It was a lot. I think there are still countless hours for us to talk about new things in, in JavaScript and how the language has evolved in the ecosystem too. But I think we should probably start wrapping up just because we're close to 40 minutes already. Um, but do you think there's anything in particular that should be mentioned before we, we wrap things up? Uh, yeah, I think definitely we can mention uh, we can mention var and var laden const. Uh, for someone who is just starting learning JavaScript, and when you see in your tutor tutorial that there is used var in some example, just close it and then find something else. Basically, you shouldn't 
for a person uh, who is learning JavaScript from scratch, we should be looking just for maybe maximum five years old tutorials. I would say we shouldn't you shouldn't really go to the past because now it's not really necessary to know how it was before. You can learn it afterwards, but it could be very confusing. Okay, um, Mark, do you have anything that you would like to promote? Any project that you're doing, anything that's happening, and you would like to shamelessly advertise? <laughs> yes, I I have, or I might have in a in a couple of months. Uh, I work currently. I work on a startup called Sayri. It's a reservation system, uh, quite complex, where you will be able to create a company, uh, your structure, your employees, and then. When you have clients and they, the, your clients have some appointments, your employees are able to create a calendar, and your and the client is able to appoint to do an appointment for whatever he needs. And it's gonna be quite complex, and it will start. The first beta version will start in January next year. And I was working on a, on the, on a calendar, and I decided that I don't want to use any uh any library for the calendar and i spent four months on a calendar because i didn't realize how complex the calendar can be just from the visual point of view and it's funny because because then i realized why so many calendars are paid because you need a very specific algorithm that shows events uh with in, in a in a column between and and you have all of all of the things, so this is <laughs> this low level UI or or when when you when you start build the components uh, in in JavaScript it becomes really crazy. It's it's it starts to be similar to low level programming. <laughs> I don't have the link for the project because it will be online uh, in January. Now it's still uh, only in a demo, sorry, in development version. Um, just to to simplify my own understanding of this project, okay, so I, I might be wrong, but would you say that's kind of like uh, how does the how does that differ from, for example, a more popular booking system such as Calendly, for example, that I think it's should be familiar to a lot of people. Yeah. Uh... The difference is that in Calendly you have usually only functionality of the calendar itself, uh, which is done, which is made made for a different purpose than ours. Yeah, Calendly is done for for appointments that you can share the appointment and you can create free slots. And Sayri would be for uh, organizations such as, let's say you have a gym and the gym has regular events such as. Uh, fitness at 6 p.m. every Tuesday, but also they have a trainers and you can do appointment directly with the trainer on a random date when, when he has free slots. So so the use case is very, very variable. It can be also used in a in a healthcare for to to create an appointment to the doctor. And uh from the from the point of view from the organization they will have their time list. They will be able to write with their clients and and so on. Gotcha. Interesting. Nice. Um, well, from from my end, 
I'm going to promote my company, Envoid. So if you're looking for a company to help you develop an application or you're looking for training or just staff augmentation, like you don't really want to fully outsource the project, but you would like to bring on external contractors to help you on your project uh, on a specific need or for a specific uh, time, then be sure to check out Envoy.com. And yeah, so that's going to be my my promo for today. Thank you very much. Yes. Thanks, Mark. And I'll see you in the next one.